12 tonight. I'm going to switch over. Number 12 in your Bibles, and we'll be in the last two verses of the chapter. Um, and uh, surely we can finish the chapter with only two verses left. Surely. <laughs> surely. So we'll see what happens uh, here tonight. But uh, I'll get all my stuff together here in Hebrews chapter 12. And I want to preach to you uh, a message I've just entitled one word unmovable. Unmovable. And how you can be unshaken in an unstable world. Uh, that's what we're going to look at as we go to Hebrews uh, chapter 12 here tonight. And boy, I love these uh, really um, uh, practical truths in the end of Hebrews that are all true because of the deep theological truths we learned in the beginning of this great book of the Bible. And uh, so in these final two verses of this chapter, the summary uh, of all that we've learned throughout the book of Hebrews has really brought us to this point where we get this one great challenge. Um, and I want to read it first before we dive into studying it here tonight. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 28. If you're there, say amen. The Bible says, Wherefore, we, receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Wherefore, that's the first word that we're brought to as we begin this text tonight. It's a word that literally means on account of, and it signifies uh, the reason for what has come before. Everything that we've studied up to this point, we're given the reason, uh, a practical reason for all of it, and what we're going to be studying here tonight. And so the question begs to be asked, what has come before the words that we're looking at here in the scripture tonight? Well, before these words, we've seen in the book of Hebrews that Jesus is better. He's better than anyone or any, uh, anything that has come before him, and he has established for us a better covenant that has been made possible because of his better sacrifice um, and all of these truths were established in the first 10 chapters of Hebrews. And as a result of this fact, we were presented with the examples of heroes of the faith who lived believing the, these truths that we've studied in this book and finished their races of faith well. In Hebrews chapter 11, we learned about them and then we were challenged in the beginning of Hebrews 12 to run our own race of faith and to run it with endurance, looking to Jesus, the one who endured for us, and taking advantage of his grace that he has given us to be able to run in this race of faith. And, uh, but we were warned in the last couple verses that we studied last week that if we get away from depending on God and his word, we will quickly become shaken and unstable in this world. In other words, just as soon as we begin to forget everything we've been learning in the book of Hebrews about the finished work of Jesus Christ and the grace he has extended to us to be able to remain in this unstable world, as soon as we get away from that, we'll quickly begin to, we'll quickly begin to struggle. And uh, the Bible, I think, gives us here tonight how we can have an unmovable faith. Listen, having an unmovable faith is not possible apart from the word of God. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? Apart from the word of God, you can't have faith. You understand? And so that's why we are warned before we get into these words not to refuse the voice of him that speaks and not to retreat from the voice of him that speaks. 
We've not come to Mount Sinai where we've got a fear that the judgment of God is going to fall down on us. We've come to Mount Zion. We've come to the finished work of Christ. And when God speaks, those aren't words that strike fear in our heart. Those are words that strike faith in our heart. And so our, the, our context of, of hearing God's word is completely different from what they, uh, what they experienced in Old Testament times. And thank God for that. And so on account of all these things, wherefore, now we are challenged in these final words of chapter 12 to live in light of these truths that we've discovered as we've studied through the book of Hebrews. And here I believe we're told here how we can live unshaken in an unstable world. Now how would you like to be able to have a faith that is unmovable? I mean, no matter what circumstance comes up in your life, you're not shaken. Your faith is not shaken. You're not bothered by it. How would you like to be able to have that kind of faith? Well, you can. And it's very simple. And I think the principles we're going to learn tonight from the scripture will help us to be able to understand it. Because the fact is, the world around us is very unstable. It's very shaky. It's very much in turmoil. And uh, anything and everything seems to put this world into a ruckus. Uh, I was recently reading the NBA has went ahead and issued a warning to all NBA teams to be ready because they're probably going to be postponing games depending on the outcome of the trial for the man that got shot in Minnesota. I can't remember what his name is right now. George Floyd. And if it doesn't turn out the way they think it should, I think they're just warning there's probably going to be rioting that happens again. And I tell you what, to me, as I read that, was an example of the instability that exists in our world today. We, we live in a shaky, unstable world today when you do not have to be shaken by it. You can have an unmovable faith in an unstable world. And I believe God gives us four steps to having an unmovable faith here tonight. And so before we dive into this, I want to bow our heads and ask God to speak to our hearts as we study the scriptures together. Let's pray together. Our Father, we come before you and we thank you for the opportunity to be able to open your word tonight. Lord, I pray as we look about uh, these truths in the scripture about how to have an unmovable faith in an unstable world, that you would speak to our hearts as only you can. Holy Spirit of God, I pray you to open our hearts to the truth of your word and open my mouth to be able to communicate the truth of your word. And Lord, I pray you'd be glorified in all of it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. The four steps to having an unmovable faith. Number one, if you're taking notes tonight, step one, you need to acknowledge your position. Acknowledge your position. Now look at the beginning of verse number 28. Now we're in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, and we're looking Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 28. The Bible says, wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Now listen, if you are going to be unshaken in this unstable world, you are going to have to first acknowledge the position of security that the Lord has put you in. If you are a believer here tonight, through your faith in Jesus Christ, you have been given a position that is secure. You cannot be moved. You cannot be shaken. And when you begin to understand the position that you have been put into as a child of God, that will place you in a position where you cannot be shaken, no matter what circumstances are going on in this world. And so you need to acknowledge your position. Now, I want you to understand some facts about your position that are told to us here in the scripture. First off, I see that your position is an active position. 
It's an active position. The Bible says that we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be moved. That word receiving is the Greek word paralambano. And it literally means to take something that is being transmitted as your own. You're receiving something. It's in the present active tense, which literally means that it's something that needs to happen in your life today and every day. It's continually in the present active tense. You continually need to be receiving this truth into your life on a daily basis that you have received a kingdom that cannot be moved. And so you need to acknowledge your position of stability in this unstable world every day of your life. And until you understand that you are rooted in a position that cannot be moved, you are going to, by your lack of faith, live with some measure of instability in your life. I thank God that this is an active position. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 1.7 that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And friend, we don't have a need to fear because we are rooted in a position of security today. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse six, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man can do unto me. So this is an active position of security. I see this also about this position we're in. It is an authoritative position, an authoritative position. Our text says next that we, what, what we have received is a kingdom. It's a kingdom. We, wherefore, we receiving a kingdom. Now this is a Greek word that literally speaks of royal dominion or power. Uh, it's not so much speaking about a literal physical kingdom, as uh, what it's really talking about is the, the right to rule, the, uh, the, the dominion or the uh, power that's derived from a kingdom. That's what this word is talking about here. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we've been given kingdom authority on this earth. Now, I just want you to think about that with me for a little bit. We've been given kingdom authority. The authority that we receive is derived from our head, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You went over to Matthew chapter 28. You can turn there if you like. But Matthew chapter 28, I'm sure you're familiar with it, most of you. In verse number 18, this is what Jesus said, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. What he was talking about, power, that's a Greek word that means authority. Jesus saying, was saying, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. And then he gave us a command. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded. And listen to me, the reason we're living in this world is to accomplish the mission of Jesus Christ and, and as, a, uh, uh, as approval uh, for us fulfilling that, that mission, Jesus said, by the way, I've got all authority. The mission I'm sending you to do, you're going with my authority. We have been given kingdom authority as a members, citizens of the kingdom of heaven to fulfill God's kingdom purposes in this earth today. And I tell you something, that's why when the laws of the kingdom of men contradict the law of the kingdom of God, in other words, when what man tells me to do contradicts what God tells me to do, I stand as the apostle stood in Acts 5.29 and say, we ought to obey God rather than man. I've got a higher law, a higher principle I'm living by. I'm only a pilgrim passing through this world. I serve the Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom rules over all. 
You know, I've been given kingdom authority through my Lord Jesus Christ. I've been thinking, uh, 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 we've recently taught some of our kids in, in, uh, in Bible class about some of the uh, people, some of the uh, uh, leaders of the faith throughout church history, and one of them is Martin Luther. It was 500 years ago this, this year, in 15, uh, I think it's 1521, if I'm getting my math right there, uh, where Martin Luther stood before the Diet of Worms or the Council of Worms. Worms is a place. It wasn't literal worms, okay? And at this council, they demanded that he recant his false theology. What was his false theology he was being accused of? He believed that salvation was by grace through faith, and like the Catholic Church did. And he was demanded to recant. I want to read to you what he said to them. I think it's so awesome. He said, unless I am refuted and convicted by the testimonies of the scriptures or by clear arguments, my conscience is bound to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything. If you can disprove this by scripture or by clear reason, I will. Otherwise, so help me God, I cannot. And here I stand. Amen. <laughs> And they tried to get him to recant, but boy, he wasn't going to do it. And I'm going to tell you something. That's kingdom authority right there. I don't care what you say. I'm going to do what God says. By the way, God protected him, and God used him in a great way uh, during that time period of history. And you know, this world, it's always going to be shifting. And it's always going to be unstable. But we can stand with all confidence knowing that our king has the final authority over everything that's happening in this world. The Bible tells us in uh, uh, John chapter 19, I love this story in the scripture, Jesus, in John 19, he stood before Pilate, and Pilate looked at Jesus as he, as the, as he was being accused, and, and uh, all these people were trying to get him killed, and Pilate looked at Jesus and said, do you not know I have the power to put you to death? I love what Jesus said to him in John 19 and verse 11, Jesus answered and said, Thou couldest have no power at all against me except it were given you from heaven. Jesus said, you couldn't touch me unless God lets you do it. That's kingdom authority. And Jesus had an understanding of this that I think all of us need to understand. And you know, uh, you can be unmoved in this unstable world when you acknowledge that you are a citizen of the kingdom whose king reigns over all. The Bible says in Psalm 103 and verse 19, the Lord has prepared his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Well, and thank God for that truth. And so this, uh, uh, this uh, 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 position that we need to acknowledge if we're going to live unshaken in this unstable world, it is an active position. It is a uh, authoritative position, but I want you to see also it is an adamant position. The Bible says that we have received a kingdom that cannot be what? It can't be moved. It is an adamant position. It can't be moved. That, that word moved in the Greek, it literally means overthrown. You cannot overthrow the kingdom of God. It is not even a possibility. I like what one person said, it is Christ who shakes all things, but he stands unshaken. You can't move him. You can't shake him. You can't, you can't overthrow him. I love that truth. In Matthew 16, 18, the Lord Jesus said when he was founding the church, he promised, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall what? Not prevail against it. You won't prevail against the kingdom I'm building 
Uh, the kingdom I, I'm building is not of this earth. The kingdom I'm building is within. And Jesus Christ is building that kingdom in all of us that have believed in him as our savior. And it's a kingdom that cannot be moved. And boy, I'll tell you something. When you begin to acknowledge your position that the Lord Jesus has put you in as a child of God, come what may in this world, you can stand unmoved in a unstable world. Acknowledge your position. I love that. And listen to me, hey, uh, more so than at any other time in my life, and I've not lived very long, I know that, people have begun to question where America's going today. And honestly, for my children, I have to wonder if there's going to be much of an America left for them unless God intervenes and there's a revival across this nation. While that grieves my heart because I'm an American, and I love America to the core, I'm glad my kingdom's not of this world. And I don't have to be shaken by that. Because I serve a higher kingdom. You need to acknowledge your position. But number two this evening, step number two, you're going to have an unmovable faith, access God's power. Number one, acknowledge your position. Step two, access God's power. Now look back at our text in verse 28 of Hebrews chapter 12. The Bible says, wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let's read the next four words together. Let us have grace. Let us have grace grace. Access God's power. It will not be possible for you to remain unshaken in this unstable world apart from the grace of God. It will not be possible for you to do it. It is when you try to run your own race of faith and your own power that you're quickly going to get worn out, want to quit, you're going to get faint. It's when you're not living according to the power of the grace of God that you're going to get worn out. But boy, when you learn to access the power of God's grace, it can give you the ability to remain unshaken no matter what may be taking place in your life. You understand the grace of God is God's power for us in our lives today. It's by God's grace that we are given the power to be saved. It's by God's grace that we're given the power to be sanctified. It's by God's grace that we're given the power to serve God. It's all of grace. Listen, I can't do anything for God except God gives the, me the ability to do it. And it's by the grace of God all of these things are possible for us today. And so I want you to understand what the Bible tells us here about accessing God's grace. First off, I want you to see that God has made his grace available to us. He has made his grace available to us. Here the, the proposition that's set forth is that we can have grace. The Bible says let us have grace. Grace, and by that statement, if there is grace to be had, what that means is it is because God has made it available to be had, okay? He's made his grace available for us today, and so I say God has made his grace available to you, and listen, no matter what you may be facing in this ever-shifting world that we're living in, God has the grace you need to face whatever it is. He has the grace for you. I was thinking about the different kinds of grace of God that he has made available to us. You know, God, God gives saving grace. That's the grace that he gives. Uh, 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 this is God's grace coming to you to save you. That's the saving grace of God, all right? But God also gives sanctifying grace. This is God's grace working within you, all right, to bring about his purposes within you. God also gives serving grace, I believe, this is the enabling grace of God to be able to serve God. You sing a song, you preach a sermon, you serve in a ministry, you serve your family, you work at your job, you want to do it for the Lord, you can only do it through the enabling grace of God. There's serving grace 
then I also believe there's sufficient grace. This is the grace that God gives to strengthen you in your hour of weakness. And I thank God for his sufficient grace. And listen, the fact is God's made this grace available. No matter what you're facing, that very thing that may, make, may, have, may be putting you in a position right now where you're so unstable in your faith, God has grace to be able to help you and strengthen your faith today. And so this grace has been made available to you, but a second truth I see about this grace in our text is that God has made this grace accessible to you. Not only has he made it available, but he's made it accessible to you. Now look at, the, look at our text again. The Bible says, let us have grace. This proposition carries with it a personal responsibility. Listen, don't miss this. The word have here is the Greek word echo, and it literally means to grab hold of or to possess something. That's what it's talking about. You need to have, you need to get a hold of or possess this grace. And this also is in the present active tense, listen, which means that it's something that you need to do today and every day. Every day of your life, when you get up, you need to get a hold of the grace of God for whatever you're going to be facing on that day. That's what the Bible's telling us here. Don't mistake this. The grace of God is available, but too often we don't take advantage of it. The grace of God will never fail you, but you can fail to take advantage of the grace of God. And too often we do on a day-to-day basis. And the Lord is saying, Let's have grace. Let's get a hold of the grace that I'm giving to you. I want to give you the strength. I want to give you the favor that you need to face the unstable circumstances of this world. If you'll just let me, I'd like to give you what you need to stand strong in an unstable world. That's what God's telling us here today. So if you're going to uh, uh, be unmovable in your faith, number one, you need to acknowledge your position. Number two, you need to access God's power. But I want you to see number three here tonight. If you're going to have an unmovable faith, step three, you need to activate your purpose. Activate your purpose. Now going on in verse number 28, we'll read the whole verse for context again. The Bible says in verse number 28, wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, and listen, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Once you have the grace of God, you can choose to fulfill the purpose that God has given you in this world. What is that purpose? Well, through God's grace, the Bible, whereby, that word means through the grace of God, we can serve him. And I don't want you to miss this because I think we need to build a foundation of what the Bible's talking about here from the scripture before we move on. But let me just say this first. If you let this world determine what you're living for, your life will be unstable. If the world's calling the shots, all right, if the job's calling the shots, if your hobby's calling the shots, if your, your addictive substance is calling the shots, if your spouse is calling the shots, if your children are calling the shots, if anything of this world, if you're calling the shots, you're going to have an unstable life. It's going to be just as unstable as everything else in this world is. I love what the Bible says in James chapter 1 and, 1 and verse 8. It says a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. You know, what I mean? you know what the Bible means by double-minded? Well, Jesus explained it. He explained it in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. 
No man can serve two masters. For either he'll hate the one and love the other, or else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. But you cannot serve God and mammon. You can't do it both. You can't live for God and his purposes and also live for this world and the world's purposes. You're going to have an unstable life if you have a a double-minded personality. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. But God has made clear to us in his word what his ultimate purpose is for our life. I want you to turn over to Revelation chapter four. I want you to see it. (coughs) Now keep your place mark there in in Hebrews chapter 12. We'll be coming back there in a minute. (coughs) But Revelation, Revelation chapter four. Here's the reason you were created. Are you ready to hear it? Revelation chapter four and verse 11. Let's read it out loud together. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Ultimately, you were created for his pleasure. You were created to worship him serve him, to minister for him, to fulfill his purposes. That's why you were created. And boy, by the way, what a privilege that I get to live my life serving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's the reason all of us were created. And so if you're going to have an unmovable faith, you must then live for God's purpose for you. You were made to worship him. You were made to serve him. By the way, that's what, that's what that word serve means back in Hebrews chapter 12. <coughs> well, I'm going to start coughing now. That's not going to be any fun for anybody. I'm sorry about that. But uh, that word serve back in Hebrews 12, let us, uh, whereby we may serve God with reverence and godly fear. Um, that word serve, it, it comes from a Greek word that literally means to worship or to minister, Okay. And it just it reiterates this purpose that God has made us for. God has made us to worship him. He has made us to be his ministers in this world. And so I want you to understand from our text then how God desires you to fulfill this purpose of worship, of serving him. Look, look again at the text. The Bible tells us, first of all, that we're to serve God how? Acceptably. You write, write this down. Worshiping, worship. We're to worship God in a pleasing manner. Worship in a pleasing manner. The Bible says, serve God acceptably here. That word acceptably, it means in a well-pleasing manner. The only way we can worship God is God's way. Don't mistake that fact right there. A man uh, once told his pastor after their church's worship service, he said, you know, I really didn't like the worship service today. And the pastor looked at him and said, good, it wasn't for you. (laughs) You know, the only thing that really matters is if God's pleased with it. That's true of your life too. I really don't like how you're living for God right now. Good, it's not for you. It's for him. That's the essence of worship. All that matters is if we're pleasing him but we can only worship God in a way that is pleasing to him. Understand that as well. You cannot worship God in a way that violates his word. I've heard people say to me before, well, pastor, I just don't like to go to church. I think I can just have my own Bible study at home or go up on a mountain. I've never feel closer to God than when I'm up on a mountain, and that's all good and fine. I tell you what, I love to go hunt up on the mountains too, and I'd never have as good prayer times as what I do sitting out in the woods waiting for some turkey to walk in front of my gun, Okay. It increases your prayer life, I'll guarantee you that right there. 
okay? But no, in all seriousness, I understand what they mean, but listen, God says not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And you cannot worship God in a well-pleasing way if it's in direct violation of what the Bible says. You understand that? And uh, that's what the Bible says. We're to worship in a pleasing manner. John 4 and verse 24, Jesus said, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. It's interesting to me, a lot of the worship songs that are coming out today, many of them have a whole lot of spirit and a whole little of truth. In fact, some of them are just in direct violation of what the truth is. Oh, but when I sing that song, I just get a great close feeling to God. I don't care if you think you're close to God. If the, if the song isn't true, it's not true worship. God says spirit and truth. That's how I want my people to worship me. That's why I like singing the deep doctrinal songs. Uh, and make those a, a regular part of the repertoire of what we sing here at Lighthouse Baptist Church. And so understand this, when it comes to this matter of serving God, the pretext to this is that we have to have grace to be able to serve God. The only way you're going to worship God is by the grace of God. And so you have to access the, the, the grace of God to be able to worship God in an acceptable way. Worshiping God in an acceptable way isn't up to you. It's only possible by God's grace through God's spirit. Understand that. And all of, that's true of all of these forms of worship here. And so the Bible tells us here that we're to worship in a pleasing manner, but I want you to see this as well. It tells us we're to worship in a pure manner. We're to worship in a pure manner. The next thing we're told in the verse here is that we're to have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with what? with reverence. That word reverence, it literally means honor or humility or modesty. That's what it's talking about. Honor, humility, or modesty. And as we serve the Lord, as we minister for the Lord, as we worship the Lord in our daily life, we are to do so with the goal of glorifying his name. That's what the scripture is essentially telling us here. Our worship is not to bring attention to ourselves, but to the Lord. That's what the Bible's talking about when it's talking about reverence. Reminded me of Psalm 115, verse one, where the psalmist prayed, not unto, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. That's to be the motive of our worship. It's supposed to be a humble worship, not to draw attention to ourself, but to draw attention to him. And listen, worship isn't just something we, something we come together to do on a Sunday. Worship is everything we do at every moment of our life. Everything we do is supposed to be worship. Whether you therefore eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to what? The glory of God, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. It's all worship. Everything we do is supposed to be worship to God. Yeah, you can eat your food for the glory of God. Or not so much to the glory of God. I've seen how some of you eat, Okay. But that's what the Bible's telling us here, and it's all supposed to be to give him the glory. It's all supposed to be for that. Now note this down. Um, you cannot bring God glory while simultaneously bringing him grief. You cannot bring God glory while simultaneously bringing him grief. The Bible says, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you sealed to the day of redemption. God desires us to serve him in a way that honors him, a way that reflects him. That's the idea communicated by 
reverence here in the scripture. And friend, you are not bringing glory to God through trying to do things with your life that aren't pleasing to God, that bring grief instead of glory to his name. I want you to think about that with the life you're living. Because listen, we're talking about living with an unmovable faith. And if you're living with things in your life that aren't bringing glory to God, you're setting yourself up for failure when it comes to this thing. Your faith can be shaken because you're not really living by faith. You're living for the flesh. If you want to live to glorify God, that means you're not living for you, your pleasure, your glory, but for him, his pleasure, and his glory. We're to worship in a pleasing manner by the grace of God. We're to worship in a pure manner by the grace of God. But I see third, we're supposed to worship in a pious manner by the grace of God. The last thing we're told in this verse is that we are to serve God with reverence and what? And godly fear. That godly fear, that word, that one Greek word from which we get those two English words, godly fear, it literally means caution or reverence. This is my favorite definition, definition, awe. It's talking about having an awe of God. That's what it's talking about here. And this speaks of the awe we are to have in considering our great God. Our worship should be done with an awe of who God is. When's the last time you just thought about God and how great he is? When's the last time that you paused in the busyness of your life with an awe of God? The psalmist, I think he communicated this awe very well when he said, when I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him. You almost sense as he wrote those words how in awe he was of God. So he thought, God, well, why would you think about the likes of us? You made the world, you made the universe. And yet you think of people like us. He's just sitting in awe of God for a little bit. I say to you, this reverence that's being spoken of here, this reverence of God should lead us to live a life that's in awe of him. You really want to live a life of worship? It's living a life of all towards God. The all of God led Solomon to write these words in Ecclesiastes 5.2. He said, be not rash with your mouth and let not your heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven and thou upon earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Psalmist David wrote in Psalm 46, verse 10, be still and know that I'm God. And sometimes worship is not expressed by song. Sometimes worship is not expressed by sermon. Sometimes worship is expressed by silence. And just living in awe of the Lord. Worship in a pious manner. That's what we're challenged to do here. I'll tell you something. God has made you for the purpose of serving him. He has made you for the purpose of worshiping him, ministering for him. 
And because he has made you for that purpose, if you are going to be unshaken in this unstable world, you must, by God's grace, daily make the choice to live your life to worship the one who made you for his glory. You are going to have an unstable faith so long as you're living for any other purpose than the one your creator made you for. You want to have an unmovable faith? Acknowledge your position. Whereby we, receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, hey, access your power. Let us have grace. And then, as we've just looked at, uh, activate your purpose. Whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. And here's the final truth, and we'll be done tonight, and how you can have an unmovable faith. Step four, accept God's process. Accept God's process. Now look at verse number 29. Let's read it out loud together. Are you ready? Here we go. For our God is a consuming fire. Whoa. What a truth. Our God is a consuming fire. What in the world does this have to do with anything that we've been talking about? You know, your faith will not be unmovable in this unstable world, until you come to understand the truth that our God is a consuming fire. And so let's think about what it means tonight. Who can help us in this area? Fire, one person wrote, is a fitting figure to represent the activity of God because fire consumes the consumable and purifies the unconsumable. You hear that? Fire consumes the consumable and purifies the unconsumable. You know, those who are lost will one day experience the reality of the truth and our God is a consuming fire. For they will come under the fiery judgment of God for eternity in hell. And there will be no escaping it. Our God is a consuming fire. He consumes everything that is not consistent with himself. That's called holiness. And that's who God is. He is holy. And there is coming a day of judgment when all those who have rejected or neglected to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior are going to be consumed by the fiery wrath of God's judgment for eternity in hell. Now listen, I'm going to read you a passage of Scripture from Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 14. You can turn there if you'd like. And this is what the Bible says. I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And I don't know how much more to plead with you than this. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, that truth that our God is a consuming fire really ought to terrify you. Here's the good news you're lost, you deserve God's judgment for your sin. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, 
but have everlasting life. You can be saved from your sin today. If you never trusted Christ as your Savior, I, I implore you, don't delay another day. Do it today. Our God is a consuming fire. Well, listen, this truth was not primarily written to unbelievers. It was written to believers. And for those of us who know the Lord, the prospect that God is a consuming fire is not a fearsome thing. It's an encouraging thing. And let me tell you why. Our experience with God as a consuming fire, I believe, is much, much like Moses' experience with God's consuming fire at the burning bush. You remember that? I'm going to read you a passage. You can turn there if you'd like. Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. This is what the Bible says. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. Now isn't that interesting? The bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. Earlier I read you, read you a quote which said the fire of God is a fitting thing to represent the activity of God because fire consumes the consumable and purifies the unconsumable. Can I tell you something? We as the people of God are unconsumable through our faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, we cannot be consumed. We've been given eternal life through Jesus Christ. And because of our faith in Christ, the consuming fire of God will not consume us, but it will purify us. Don't misunderstand what the Bible's teaching us here. And so whatever things there may be in your life that are consumable, be they sinful areas or areas of your life that are not like Christ, the fiery trials from the Lord, the consuming fire that is our God, seeks to try to remove those areas from your life. I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we're almost done. I want you to see what the Bible teaches us about this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 11 through 15. The Bible says, For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by what? Fire. And the fire shall try every man's work, of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he has built thereon, he shall receive a reward. And if any man's work be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. Yet so as by fire, the bush burned and was not consumed. The consuming fire that is our God, I believe works in every one of our lives through the trials that God allows into our lives to purify and remove from our lives those things that do not reflect the holiness of God. God cannot abide anything that is inconsistent with himself. And that's what the fiery uh, fact of God teaches us. Our God is a jealous God. And he wants to consume anything out of your life that does not belong. For the Hebrews that were in this book that was being written to here, God so desired to consume from them their attachment to the old idea of God. They were stuck on worshiping an old idea of God and not worshiping God according to what Jesus Christ had accomplished. 
Throughout the book of Hebrews, the challenge has been to go on. Go on from the old system. Go on to the new covenant. I'd say in all of our lives, there are things that God is trying to work in our lives to purify our lives for his purposes. And listen, if we're not careful, we'll go through the trials and we'll be shaken by them because we don't understand God's purpose for the trials. God has a purpose for the fiery trials that he allows in our life. He's not doing doing it to hurt you. He's doing it to help you. He's doing it to refine you for his glory, to rid you of some things in your life that should not be there. Unless you get shaken by the trial you're going through, you understand God has a purpose for it, and he's he's purifying you for his glory. Job said, when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. He understood that principle there. And so we ought to be able to say, as James said in James chapter 1 and verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing that the trying of your faith works patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, lacking or wanting nothing. Boy, may that be our heart's cry as well. Listen, you want to know how you can have an unmovable faith? You want to know how you can be unshaken in this ever-shifting world that we're living in today? Step number one, acknowledge your position. We have an authoritative, active, and adamant position today. Kingdom authority has been given to us. Who cares what's going to happen in this world? Jesus is in control. Acknowledge your position. Step two, access your power. Let's take advantage of the grace God has for us today for what we're facing today. Number three, activate your purpose. Let's serve God. Let's worship God with reverence and godly fear, acceptably. Let's live to to worship God. That's how we can remain unshaken. And step number four, accept God's process. Yes, the fiery trial of our consuming God may be trying you today, but God has a purpose for it. Don't be moved by it. Keep trusting him. Keep trusting him. That's how you can have an unmovable faith. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes together. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Listen, I don't know why God has brought you here tonight. I don't know what he 